Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, a college football podcast that comes to you on Sundays. Of course, we focus around the Southeastern Conference and SEC Media Days last week. I had an idea to bring you a couple of different things. Technically, some of those things not able to work out. Um, that's on me. And... We're still trying to work some of those things out. So trying to get better, trying to do better. But each and every week we will attempt that technology, not my friend. So um, the unheard interviews with Josh Payton and Andy Staples for now, I've been asked to keep them that way. I'm not going to not going to release who asked me to keep them that way and who did not want those to go public. But for now, um, apparently we're going to have to keep those private and may be released at another day, depending on some things that happened. So sort of bear with us there. I want to go over just what we learned, what we thought, because I had a chance to really visit with some cool people, have some really neat conversations, some interesting tidbits. Did we get anything earth shattering out of SEC media days? No, not really. There's definitely some things I think if you dive into and look at the details, it may change your opinion about a certain team or two, just, just a, a little bit. And then just some really impressive young men that I want to share a little bit that I got with them and that we talked about. I will say this, did not get to visit with a coach and a player from every single team. So we're not intentionally leaving anybody out. I'm just going to go through who I spoke to and who I had personal conversations with and then just kind of my perception about a certain people. So we're not trying to spend more or less time on anybody intentionally. It's just kind of what we got that we want to share with you. So we'll dive in sort of team by team what we took away from SEC Media Days. I did that they think there were a few narratives that were sort of created throughout the course of the week. We'll give our opinion on those and, and talk to you about it there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in each and every week. We always appreciate it. Did a lot of great interviews with a lot of cool people. Um, that SEC podcast, we joined you know, Mike and those guys. Obviously talked to the War Report. We talked to them a lot. A lot of different radio stations had us on. It was really cool and we appreciate all the discussion about this podcast and what we're trying to do because like I said, we're trying to build this up each and every week. Season right around the corner. Excited about a few more things we might have to announce for you here in the next, I don't know, week or two. At Cube Show 61 on YouTube, please subscribe. We are inching our way up to being a, a podcast that literally has no one listening to like two or three people listening. So thank you for that, or at least watching on YouTube. Um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can go like and subscribe there. Thank you so much. Obviously appreciate it. At Cube Show, Instagram and Twitter, you can follow along. Always brought to you by our friends at Wickles Pickles. You guys know that. Wickedly delicious. Grab them in your local grocery store. We keep a jar on handy. We snack on them. The kids love them. Put them on a lot of different things. Put them on burgers the other night, and they were spectacular. Um, Wickles.com, if you cannot find them in your grocery store, they'll drop ship them to you. And who doesn't want that? Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. All right, let's run through some of the teams, some of the things that we learned. Um, Alabama. Got to visit with all three players that came from Alabama and was really impressed with all three. Kool-Aid McKinstry wins the bling game of the week. Spencer Rattler, probably a 
close second um, with the snake bling, but the Kool-Aid man busting through the wall, like that's tough to beat. So um, props to Kool-Aid for winning that one over. Talk to him and Dallas Turner just about Kevin Steele coming in. Both said that some of the things are a little easier to understand. Here's one thing we're going to talk about with a lot of different guys. Verbiage, not going to change. Uh, also talked to J.C. Latham about that from Alabama. We knew that with Alabama, though. We've told you that multiple times, that you come in and learn Nick Saban's offense, the verbiage doesn't change. What the plays are called stays the same. It goes back to the Buckner sort of back and forth of, is it an advantage to be with Tommy Reese? Is it not? Because the other guys already know what the offense is going to be called, all the checks, plays, protections, so on and so forth. Uh, J.C. Latham, physically impressive, by the way. His chain had a TK on it. And we were trying to figure it out. weren't really sure. And I was like, huh? So we asked Dallas Turner about it. First off, Dallas pretty cool. He's like, man, I told him about the sunglasses in here. Like we need to lose those. We're not about that. That's not what we're about. Like I thought Dallas brought a little extra leadership and intensity to media days and said that that's sort of been the overall chain shift in the locker room, that more guys are taking a leadership role. And it really does make sense when you think about it, because Greg McElroy, we were on Mac and Cube in the morning on jocks. When we asked him this question, he said, did you guys feel a bit last year like, Okay, it was it was Bryce Young, it was Will Anderson, and they kind of did their thing. And they're like, no doubt, you know, like those guys were superheroes. So I think subconsciously there was probably a part of that team that followed them, waited on them. Um, I have another different hypothesis that I think NIL actually plays into that a little bit because you start hearing not only you not only seeing how well they're playing, hearing about them being first round draft picks, number one overall draft picks, but then it's like, well, this guy got a deal for a million bucks. This guy got a a deal for half a million bucks. He's got two clothing deals. He's got this deal over here. He's on a Dr. Pepper commercial. I think subconsciously for a 19, 20, 21 year old, that just forces you to all, a lot of times maybe take another step back. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. It's the world we live in now. But I could very easily see certain guys kind of not even knowing they're doing it, but just saying, oh, okay. Like he's the quarterback. He's the star of the defense. He's got all these deals. He's going here in the draft, like and not asserting themselves in every way possible because of what that individual is. It means to the locker room and the team on the field. I, I just think it's something that could have been very real last year. And the more people we talk to, they say that's very different with this year's football team. Uh, but both guys said Steele's been great. They said it's a little easier to grasp the way that he's coaching some things. Probably not as complicated because Pete was pretty complicated. Um, and then offensively, same thing with J.C. Latham. We know that nothing's going to change. But that chain, we had to ask Dallas Turner about it. He goes like, oh, that's Trench King. So the TK for J.C. Latham on the chain, Trench King. And he went He went further to discuss that physicality, being able to impose their will. Is that something that the Alabama offensive line wants to get back to? They're, something they're going to get back to. I love it. Listen, you guys know me. I, I live in the trenches, and I want to see it. I want to see it from every team. I want to see. I love seeing offensive lines dominate. I love seeing guys finish. I love seeing double teams push two, three yards off the ball. Like, ugh, it's like it gets me going. But you don't just talk about that and then become that. That's not the way it works. So I'll be interested to see once they get practice going and then once they ease into the season, if that's really there. It could be a major benefit because the, the main part, and I asked JC about this, I said, can you already see one of the bigger differences be Tommy Reese is going to call a run play? And then you guys get to go out there and you know you're about to move somebody's ass off the ball. And he said, absolutely no doubt. 
It's no longer we may hand it, we may pull it, we may throw it, we we may be supposed to hand it and we throw it anyway. Like he said, it's there will be design run plays that it is our it's on us. It's on us in the backs to move people and that back to be able to find space and get yards. That part, I think, is going to be great for Alabama because we've talked a lot of different times in the last few years about Nick Saban defending the offensive line. Why can't they run the ball? That mindset is easier to obtain when you know it's on you. And there's nobody else that's going to bail you out. And let's be real. Bryce Young did a lot of bailing out last year. He just did. The maneuvering in the pocket, the off-platform throws, changing the arm angles, all of those things at certain points in time aided either lack of protection or getting out of a run and spitting the ball out real quick. So I think more onus will be on this offensive line to go out there and dominate if that offense is going to be successful. Also love Saban's cake analogy that he made by asking about his quarterback situation. Like he used to want grandma to take the cake out early, take the cake out early said, it's not ready. If I take it out now, it's not going to be as good as it can be. So he doesn't have to make that decision right now. I don't think they make that decision for middle Tennessee. We've seen him roll a game or two into the season before give all the guys a shot and then make that decision next. That would be putting a lot of pressure on a kid for his first start to be Texas at home. But I do think you want a guy for that one. It's a big game. Texas is going to be for real this year. They've got dudes. Doesn't mean they're better than Bama across the board, but they got guys. And a lot of guys on that staff have been on Alabama staff. So there will be some inherent advantages. So that was about what I took away from Alabama's visit. I thought Saban pretty calm, cool, and collected. Like we, we didn't get, we didn't get a blow up. You know, we, we, we didn't get a guy who seemed irritated and mad. And a lot of these guys don't come to Radio Row anymore. And I think that probably helps a lot of it. But nonetheless, a, a cool, calm, confident Nick Saban. That was another, like we talked about verbiage. We're going to mention that with a lot of guys. Confidence. Another big takeaway from SEC media days. You'll see the trickle down here as we roll through the rest of the teams. Don't forget about blue Delta jeans, by the way. Custom fit denim for you. Premium denim for you. Every pair made just for you. It's not off the shelf. You're not going to need another pair of jeans. Go to bluedeltajeans.com. Nick and the guys take great care of you. You'll see me wearing them on the sideline. You'll see me wearing them around town. Love my blue deltas. Even if it's hot, they're stretchy, flexible for big husky guys like us. Is what you have to have. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Tell them you heard about them on Cube Show. All right, Arkansas. First thing stuck out to me, had Sam Pittman on the morning show via the phone on his way in. Confidence, man. Like, there's a lot about his team that he likes. And I think there's some areas of his football team, depth, depth at running back, depth on the offensive line, and then just the defensive line in general that I wanted to hear about his confidence in. Raved about Landon Jackson. And I will tell you, Landon Jackson in person, Pass the eye test. Like, dude's huge. Um, he was one of about three guys that I wasn't sure if we were at basketball media days and I was seeing a power forward or if we were at football media days. Um, but he's going to be a guy that obviously they need up front. And Sam went out of his way to talk about the weight he's put on, the speed he's maintained, and how he's going to be able to help. Um, you know, I, I, Sam's a confident guy either way. But I do think that sometimes you can read between the lines when he's not as confident because he's not a bullshitter. Like, I mean, Sam is as straight up of a guy as you're going to get. and He tells it how it is. So if there's a part of his team that he doesn't like, I do think that you could kind of take that from his visits, either with the big room or with individual media outlets. And I just didn't feel it. I think he's excited about Danitos. They've obviously worked together before. He's excited about Travis Williams, who he knows 
defensively, schematically, it's just going to be easier. It's going to be better. It's going to be easier on the guys. They're not going to give up as many big plays. Uh, secondary, still a problem, but it's something that they know they got to overcome. Also, I, I think, too, like he knows what kind of quarterback he has, and he knows what kind of guy he has working with his quarterback. And hearing some of the things Sam said, I, I really felt like he he's going above and beyond to say, we're not worried about a new scheme because this is going to be better for the guys that we have. Now, I was a little surprised he didn't mention Varkey's gums when they were talking about, you know, pass catchers and different guys who can help because I think he can be massive for Arkansas this year. One thing I noticed about Arkansas, Rocket Sanders disrespect. Now, I would have grabbed the kid and had him on our morning radio show as we were on Radio Row. But we had, and actually Sam was one of them, we had three head coaches back-to-back on the phone, Stoops, Napier, and Pittman. So I, I could not step away from any of those to be able to go grab Rocket Sanders and get him on the show. This young man's walking up and down Radio Row. First off, nobody knew who he was. And second off, I think when a couple of people did figure out who he was, like there were multiple tables that could have grabbed him and sat him down and had a conversation. Like, this is a top five running back in college football. I think he's the second best running back in the SEC, and he's right there knocking on the door as the best running back in the SEC. I just couldn't believe that there were not more people they wanted to talk to him, get him on camera, get him in front of a microphone, sit him down at their table. Like, and I understand a lot of folks just didn't know it was him. But, I mean, he's, he's going up and down Radio Row with some of the SID and the media team from Arkansas, and it's like nobody's going out of their way to get him. Like That was, that was a part that I found very surprising from SEC media days. But I, I think there are a lot of positives that you felt from Sam Pittman and what he had to say about his team. From an Auburn perspective, I got a chance to sit down one-on-one with Coach Freeze before he started to make the rounds. And I'll just say this first and foremost about Hugh. There are always the, the people who are still asking questions about his time at Ole Miss and some of his mistakes. I, I got to say that I, I just I don't understand it. First and foremost, like you guys know some of the personal mistakes that I've had in my life. When I go sit down with Michael Bratton, like he's not bringing that up. You know, I go sit down to Richard Cross's radio show like he's not bringing that up. Why is that still a talking point? I, I, I feel like it's lazy. I feel like it's low hanging fruit. It's attempted clickbait because it, it's in no way relevant to what's happening right now, but it's just looking for a reaction that could help you personally. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's bullshit to be, to be, to be frank. I don't know how else to say it, but I just, I don't know how it fits into anything that's happening. Now, if you want to ask him about how some of the ways he's become who he is today, because the more I'm around him, the more I am buying into, he is a very changed individual. Uh, I think the humility is very real. And I, I'll tell you a story about that. When we, uh, when I was doing Sirius XM, Jacob Hester and I had a chance to talk to Hugh. Coach Neuheisel was sitting in there with us. And he mentioned something about play calling. And I asked him, I said, well, how, how different would it have been to vary play calling when you were the play caller? Because we wanted to ask him about giving it up and obviously understanding what the job takes and what it's going to command. And you can't just go out there and call plays and manage today's college football team in the Southeastern conference. He's like, guys, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. He said there were times when the run game wasn't going and I'd hit Matt Luke on the headset and say, Matt, you need to call the next series, man. Like I just, I don't, I don't have it. Or he'd hit Ken Austin and say, Kent, I'm, I'm ice cold, man. Can take the next series or two, like see if you can dig us out of this. And he said, and then maybe I would take it back. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe he'd finish it. Maybe he'd finish the half. Maybe they would finish, you know, the next two series, whatever that was. He said, but there was never any back and forth, you know, and never any point finger pointing or animosity. And I kind of stopped him. I said, coach, do you, 
Do you have any idea how different that is from the narrative that is floating around media days? And we all know that that Petrino Jimbo play calling was one of the narratives, like one of the narrative clouds that was floating over SEC media days the entire week. Now, we're going to talk about it in a little bit and kind of how and why that happened and why maybe it wasn't put to rest. But still, to hear him say, no, if if I need to take it from Philip and like he wants me to call it for a series, I'll do it, but I'm not going to think that it's mine the rest of the way. And we've seen it at, at other times. Obviously, everybody thinks about Malzahn and Lashley and that back and forth with Chip Lindsay and Malzahn. There have been some other times, like I'll, I'll tell you right now, there's a coach in the league right now who, when it's good, it's his. When it's not, it's the coordinators. And it's been like that at other schools. So there, there are certain, there are certain times that certain people want it and don't want it. But to hear Hugh talk about it's not a big deal, they're going to be fine with it. And he's traded it off before. I thought it was very mature. And almost refreshing to hear that the egos don't always get in the way like we think they do with just everybody out there. Um, I thought it was also interesting when Hugh talked about taking this job. He told us that he called about five or six of his best friends in coaching and they all told him not to take it. And not because it was Auburn or not because it was the SEC or not because you play Kirby and Nick every year, but because they knew he was playing golf three days a week at Liberty in season. Like that was just, that was how different that job is. He told me the other day he's played three rounds of golf for, since he's taken the job and he used to play three rounds a week at Liberty as the head coach. It just it did not command as much of your time to coach there as it does in the Southeastern Conference. But I thought it was interesting. Those guys were like, don't leave what you got, man. You're making five million a year at that place. And like you're you're living on easy street. So it, that I just I have not heard him say that before. And I thought it was pretty cool. He also talked about not calling it that he needed someone who ran the same offense, but called it a different way. So here we go. The opposite of what we talked with Alabama on both sides of the ball, the opposite of what we're going to talk about with Florida, of what we're going to talk about with Georgia and a couple of these other teams where Hugh wants the verbiage on offense to be different. Now it was going to be different for the Auburn players, no matter what, except for, you know, Dylan Wade and those guys that were at Tulsa. But he said, he goes, listen, man, Nick's a smart dude. And he said, there's some really smart D coordinators in this league. And he said, it's no accusation. It's just they hear something a couple of times. They know what it is. He's like, I had to have the verbiage be different when I brought this offense into Auburn because I know how many people know what I call everything. Uh, and for him to admit that and kind of go an extra mile to say as to why he brought Coach Montgomery in, I thought was pretty cool. Um, you know, another thing was Elijah McAllister kid that's transferring to Auburn from Vanderbilt. And there are a few kids I'm going to point out during this podcast that just wowed me. We're just un freaking believable. And Elijah McAllister was one of them. First off, I was telling Jacob Pester who I was doing Sirius XM with, I was like, when this kid walks in, you're going to think we're at basketball media days. And sure enough, like he walked in and Jacob's like, well, you weren't lying. Like this looks like a power forward. He told me he's got a seven foot wingspan. And he's put together well. Like I, I still will say, I think he's more of the first and second down edge guy. It uh, doesn't mean he won't be able to rush the passer at all. I think Jalen McLeod gets most of that though. But you're talking about removing passing lanes. Like, I mean, Coach Mason was talking about Derek Mason, the former Vandy head coach who recruited him. He's like, imagine taking him, sliding him down inside on obvious pass downs. You get that big wingspan to remove passing lanes. And I'm not, I'm not making a comp, but it was like one of the things about Javon Kinlaw that was so great for Carolina when he played there at D tackle. Like he had that giant wingspan and the big hands and he got his hands up after getting a little bit of a push. Like 
all the quick game people are running, you have a chance to remove some of those windows. That's really valuable. Like Muschamp told me a couple of years ago, he's like, Cole, we're to a point now where middle pass rush, like denting the pocket is almost as valuable as the guy ripping off the edge because the quick game is so prominent slants, crossers, like even backs out of the backfield, like the arrow route, angle route, like that's, those things are so popular now that a lot of quarterbacks, they don't know how to react to it. And you can affect the passing game more by doing that more often than you can get in the rush off the edge more often. Cause especially with some of these quarterbacks with mobility, boom, they go North and South. Like it's lights out O'Reilly. So McAllister though, just uh, why he and Hugh free, he had not met Hugh freeze before he went in the portal. And now he's sitting there representing Auburn at media days. This kind of shows you the relationship they have right there, the trust that Coach Freeze has in Elijah. But you talk about an impressive young man, somebody that if you're an Auburn graduate should be happy he's wearing that uniform. Elijah McAllister is that guy. And you know what? If you're a Vandy fan, you should you should be excited that he played for your university too because he's just that impressive of an individual. Uh, excited to watch what he can do this fall. From a Florida perspective, I got a chance to sit down with Billy. I talked to him on the phone on my morning show, sat down with him on Sirius. Billy feels good about where the offense is, man. And I know a lot of you people don't like to hear that and you think it's bogus and you just, but he, he talked a lot about the system year one to year two. And he knows that I played for coach Mazzoni who ran a lot of the same things schematically. And he's like, you tell me year two, how much easier it was. And it was, and you know, we, we talked to, we talked to Kingsley Agwukin, uh, the center for Florida. And he's like, we just don't have to talk about some of the blocking stuff as much. Like we don't have to, there, there's not as many reminders about, Hey, stay with me here. Or, Hey, don't forget to climb or watch him over the top. He said, it's all, it's all secondhand nature. It's like I've tried to describe before, like usually that spring going into year two is when that light comes on and you get it and it hits. Um, I asked him about Mertz and I said, you know, coach, I feel like you can't, you can't win because the quarterback, you know, has some things out of his control in the spring game. And if you don't come out and throw your guy under the bus and say, you're going to get another guy in the portal, everybody's mad at you. If you come out and say you love your guy after what was perceived to be a poor performance, you look like you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. And he just laughed. He said, you're exactly right. He said, but here's the thing. Most of what we cared about, what Graham did in that game was a QBR of whatever the podcast is at Macro and Kublik in the morning, um, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Jocks FM, you can go get it. But like he told us, like, that's winning football for us. I don't know if it was like 114 or 142. I cannot remember the number he gave me. But he said he played winning football. It's just you had drops, you had balls that were bad at the line of scrimmage, but the read was correct. And then the pressures weren't picked up. Now you had some offensive linemen out, and maybe that wasn't supposed to happen. So I, Again, it backed up a little bit of what I've told you guys that I I didn't really hate Mertz coming out of that spring game because a couple of things I needed to see, like accuracy on the run, getting the ball out on time, certain things, testing the middle of the field. I saw those things. So I felt pretty good about it. Now, you still are dealing with a guy, 38 touchdowns to 26 interceptions. So the mistakes are got to be cut down no matter what. Um, you know, talk to uh, Jason Marshall. He talked about playing for Austin Armstrong. Billy told us about Austin, having worked with him before. He's been at Georgia. He was with him in Louisiana. He's like, listen, there are a lot of reasons we want to bring this guy in. But the aggressiveness is what Jason Marshall talked about, said that they're excited about that. And then Billy told us, too, another thing that's pretty cool about Austin is like our defensive verbiage won't have to change. 
So he's like, there may be a couple new things that he runs. We didn't run last year, like corner cat. We we're joking with Jason Marshall about that. Like how many corner cats he ran in the spring game. And I'm like, man, that dude loves a corner cat. Like he's going to run nine a game corner blitz basically. But he said, the verb is not changing. It's going to be huge for our guys to continue to progress mentally. So, you know, I talked to Ricky Pearsall, like Kingsley, super impressive guy. Ricky Pearsall, super impressive guy said he's the fastest player on the team. Said he had a chance to leave, but he wanted to come back because of the other guys in that locker room. And they had more things to prove. And sometimes you just hear cool stories like Ricky was talking about. I was talking about the new facility and how nice it is and like their lockers are. He goes, man, I think so nice. I slept in that place like the first two nights I was here. His living situation had not exactly worked out when he came over from Arizona. And he was like, I just slept in my locker. He's like, is somebody else. I can't remember who he told us it was. They had just gotten there. He's like, we just slept in the locker, man. We folded that thing all the way out and slept on it. Like that's to give you an idea, like Florida and LSUs are very similar. Like that's how nice these locker rooms are. These kids have today, but he was another just really impressive young man as to how diligent he is, how he wants to work and things he wants to accomplish this upcoming season, not taking anything away from anybody else, but maybe the most impressive individual I dealt with was Cedric Van Pram from Georgia. Um, Just wow. And I already knew I loved the kid. Like I, I, I knew that he was one of my favorite players in the league. And it's now like he's almost moving into Trey Smith category where I want to kind of adopt him. Um, but he sits back and tells us, this is Georgia center. If you didn't know how he has taken this off season to really focus on his footwork, his hand placement, his technique and his fundamentals, like little things like that. This kid's a three-year starter. And he just said, it's an area that I need to improve. Coach Charles and I sat down, we looked at film, we talked about it. And he said, so I put more of an emphasis on the details of my technique and fundamentals. You realize the maturity it takes for a college football player to one, see that two, recognize it three, go out of their way to try to repair it and talk to other people about the fact that they want to try to repair it because you're essentially admitting that you have let yourself down in that way for however many years. He also told us verbiage won't change in the offense. So that's one thing with Mike Bobo, you're not going to have to worry about. That'll make the ease of them shifting to him, um, you know, pretty simple and not be an issue at all. We asked him about the versatility of it. And he was like, I don't know why it would be any different. I really don't. He's like, it, it feels like we're running the exact same offense. So for the folks that are doubting it, that's a Georgia player that's sitting there telling you, you know, what are we going to, it's going to be exactly what we ran last year. So maybe it won't be so different, but I'll just, I'll say this. Like I came away from it. We all have a couple question marks about quarterback. We think it's going to be Carson Beck. We don't really know. I would put a lot of my concerns at rest about quarterback. If I were you, because I know I got that dude in front of him. I'm, I'm just telling you, that's how impressive Cedric was. He said he's down to 305. He played like just over 310 last year, like 312, 315. So he's like cut some body fat. He's leaned up a little bit. He doesn't look 305. Like he's a big dude, but he's there were some times a couple of years ago when he looked like a little sloppy. Not, I mean, not too carried away, but like a little bit. And he looks a lot leaner now. Like he's he's taking that serious in the offseason. And I think it'll make him a little bit of a different player. That and the technical side that he's focusing on. We talked a lot about Bowers. Um, I hate player comps, man. I really do. But it's an interesting discussion with Brock because I asked the question to some guys I was working with, like, is there a comp? Does this kid have a comp? Because I'm leaning more towards no. Like Aaron Hernandez as a player would be maybe the only thing I can think of because, you know, he took those shovel passes and could run 
you know, like a slot receiver running back sometimes. But I think Bowers is even more versatile. I think he's a better blocker. Um, I think he's more interested in blocking. Uh, speed probably about the same, but like is if he gets legitimate reps, even not legit, like some reps at tailback and they move him even more and he does more things from this team. Will he have a comp? I I just, I wonder why we shy away from talking about him as the best college football player right now in America. Like, why are people afraid to have that conversation and best tight end? Sure. You know, maybe best offensive weapon. Maybe why it should, he should be in a very short list discussion of best college football players right now. That's it. Game, set, match. Nothing else to talk about. You don't need to add an asterisk to it. You don't need to parentheses that thing. He might be the best player in America. So just a couple of things that we talked about with George. I thought Kirby did a good job managing things at the podium. He knew the message he wanted to deliver, and he did it. And I'll I'll go ahead and tell you, they're starting to generate the disrespect thing already. Like, it's already happening. I don't know how they do it, but it's already happening. Um, Really fun conversations with some Kentucky guys. I talked to Stoops a couple times. Got to spend some time with him. Had a really interesting conversation about Devin Leary. I kind of asked him, like, "You, you realize nobody around here really seems to know how good your quarterback is. He said, you know what, Cole, it's interesting you bring that up because I really like where we are with our quarterback. And when he said that, he didn't mean anything about how he throws it, how he calls it, his leadership. What he meant was, and he brought this up, and I had not thought about it really. He said, go back to last year when everybody's talking about our quarterback's physical capabilities, uh, some of the things that he had done, the expectations for him. How many games could we win? Could he put himself up for the Heisman, the receivers he was going to have? Like it was all on our quarterback, all of it, every bit of it. You remember Rodriguez was suspended a little bit earlier. Like you had a new coordinator coming in. Like there was a lot on Will Levis. And then once again, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm definitely not mad about it. I think NIL played a little bit of a role because he got a couple of deals that were very high profile and it was still kind of new to a lot of us. So I think, unfortunately, that puts some people's expectations a little bit further out there for an individual than maybe it should. But I think it's real. It might not be right, but it's real. Maybe it shouldn't happen, but it does. So for him to say, hey, we're kind of flying under the radar here with our quarterback, I thought was a pretty interesting point because Devin Leary was a top five quarterback in the country two years ago. And talking to some of the guys about Ray Davis coming in, like everything leads you to believe exactly what we think it's going to be. And then, you know, like I talked to Eli Cox, very impressive young man, like very well put together, buttoned up, understands it, gets it. And he knows they got to be different. He brought it up multiple times, said he's excited about not having to worry about snapping the ball and just coming off and trying to move people like he wants to go play some meathead football, I think. And I'm all for it. Um, he told us about the tight ends. And he's like, listen, we got three different type tight ends that are going to help us. He's got Cummings, who's more your athletic receiver. Um, you got Caddis, who like wants to go out there and grind it out. Really good blocker. And then Dingle, who's maybe your like right in between guy, a little bit more old school tight end. Um, those kids are going to help this football team because I know for a fact Liam Cohen's going to want to use them. Talk to Octavius Oxendine just about the that defensive line, sort of bringing some nasty. And J.J. Weaver told us, both those guys, Oxendine and Weaver both told us that Marcus Cox was a handful in the spring. Tackle from Northern Illinois. They've got He's got to be a plug-and-go guy. He's got to play good football for Kentucky if they're going to have a chance to have a really good year. But then I thought it was really cool to hear J.J. talking about his expectations for the season. He said, listen, man, we got to get back to that like grimy 
Kentucky defense like that, just old school, like punch you in the face, fist fight Kentucky defense. He's like, that is our mentality. That's what we want to do this upcoming fall. And they got the guys back on the front seven, I think, to be able to go out there and do it. You know, I'm excited about that group. And it was cool to kind of get that stamp of approval for a couple of people from the program. Um I didn't get to talk to Brian Kelly and I didn't spend a ton of time talking to the guys from LSU, but I will say this, watching them float around a little bit, seeing, hearing and watching them deliver their messages. I I came away thinking straight confidence from LSU, just calm, cool, collected, no BS, get to the point. They know what the expectation is. They know they're not hiding. They know they have some high high profile players. I thought it also backed up a little bit of the addition by subtraction with certain individuals because it, it doesn't really feel like they're running a daycare in Baton Rouge anymore. And they're all about going out and winning some games. Very businesslike approach for BK and his players. Um, Eli, a little bit different confidence from the Missouri standpoint. Like when Eli feels good, he's having fun. Like he's joking and he's like, he's doing different things that are fun. He dropped an all time one liner. Uh, on one of our mutual friends during SEC media days. I'm just going to let it rest there. You can try to go find it if you want, but it was a beauty. But I think Eli feels good about his team. I feel like he's pretty confident about what he's got. Um, I thought a couple people won a lot of the press conferences and a lot of the media. Like I think Hugh Freeze was one of those. A little bit surprised that people viewed it that way because I don't know what I thought he was going to be. But I thought I thought Zach Arnett was one of those guys too. And it's it's understandable because a lot of people hadn't been around him. They don't know him. And he he doesn't smile a lot. You know, he's got that rough exterior. So you're probably thinking, man, this dude is not nice. Um, But I love talking ball with him. And I loved hearing about the decision to go with Coach Barbet and why he did and how it could protect the defense and help the entire team be better and play more balanced football. Just that approach I understood. And if you don't think those kids respect him, why would some of them not leave to go play in the systems they were in before? Uh, So pretty good conversations with Zach. Talk to Will Rogers. I had two questions I wanted to ask him. First one, I asked him, when's the last time he took a snap under center? He laughed. He said, I did it once in high school on the goal line coming out, which if you have the confidence to do it there, because he ran air raid in high school, that's why I wanted to ask him, why would, why is there not another fourth and goal, third and goal from the inch line or like fourth and one from midfield that you feel confident enough to do it? Like that feels like the last place you would want to do it because if something goes wrong, it's a safety or a touchdown. Like what? I thought that was weird. He said maybe in Pee Wee before that, but that's it. Then I asked Will, I said, okay, when was the last time you turned your back to the defense? And he sits back in his chair and he kind of like smirks. And he said, man, you got me on that one. He said, I'm not sure I have. Now, when I referenced that, it's, we talk about play action in their new run game. They're going to have where you turn and hand the ball to the back and then you come up you don't see the defense. So when you turn around, that picture has all changed for you. Possibly, maybe not. Maybe it's exactly the same thing. So visually, that's going to take time. And he, he talked to us about the adaptation process, and it's something that he's working on and something that he knows he's going to have to continue to be better at, but he doesn't view it as a problem. He's super confident in the system. He said he's excited about it. He said he loves it. Talked to Woody Marks. He's excited about running more inside-outside zone. Said he loves cutting back in that stretch play. He's like, man, I like putting one foot down, finding the seam, and getting north and south. That's the kind of runner he is, too. If he has a good feel for it, he can be really good. I had an interesting conversation with Mason Miller. 
who was the Mississippi State offensive line coach last year, who's now calling plays somewhere else. And he's like, Cole, listen, like physically, when we decided to run the ball, like, we were pretty good. Our double teams, like our combos worked well. We, we, we moved people. We could push people. So don't be surprised if those guys do get it and can make it go for a little while. It's just so different. It's going to be hard for a lot of people to get on board with it really being effective, especially early when you get LSU week three. So Arizona week two, we're going to see exactly how it goes. But a lot of confidence around that program, uh, a lot of confidence in kind of where it's going to go, what it's going to be. Um, a lot of confidence with Lane Kiffin too, man. Like Lane is not in that kind of a mood. He's not that jovial if he doesn't feel good about things. Like we've seen Lane be boring and be kind of miserable. Like I, I, I know Lane feels good about his team. I'm just going to leave it at that. Like, yes, I talked to him about the diet that I'm on and trying to go on the Lane Kiffin diet, giving up red meat and all carbs and everything. Like he and I are always going to talk about that, but talked about his team a little bit and he feels good. He likes his squad. Likes his group. And why not? There's lots of like about it. There's a lot of new, but hell, he's been dealing with a lot of new. Like that's kind of been his norm now. Like he knows how to manage that, how to deal with that. I think there are a lot of people that Lane made a lot of noise for Ole Miss. And then it got a lot of, this is kind of what I noticed from the media. It got a lot of people talking more about Ole Miss and then maybe paying more attention. Or maybe they went and talked to people who actually know the players that they're getting in. And then all of a sudden, like this confidence in Ole Miss starts to rise a little bit. Like there were more and more people towards the end of the week that were like, man, I'm starting to like Ole Miss a little bit. Like I'm, I'm starting to think Ole Miss might be able to do something. So, but I, I thought Lane, I mean, he dropped some all timers, man. Like the kid that said his mom, he looked like him, asked him his mom's name. Uh, you know, the booster question from Kirk Bowles. God bless Kirk. Uh, I mean, I just, he, he was on a roll, man. And like when Lane is feeling good like that, he's pretty confident in what's happening. So, I'd feel good about it if I was an Ole Miss fan coming out of that. Uh, Spencer Rattler, feeling pretty good about the new offense. Things going to be a little simpler, a little easier for him. Uh, he shared some of that. I thought Beamer was exceptional, but that's him. That's just kind of who he is. I was doing an interview, a stand-up interview with the local TV station, and I get this giant like smack on my ass, like a pre- one of those pregame smacks. And I turned around, and his Beamer walking by. So I'm like, okay, he's feeling pretty good about things. Saw him and Justin King rolling through there. So. Um, there's a lot to like about Carolina. Now he did bring his punter. Um, but you know, like his, his punter is like pretty good player, I guess. Like he's up there touting him as the best punter in the nation. Here's the thing. Hell, I don't know. Like, is he the best punter in the nation? Maybe he could be like, I, I have no idea. Um, so possibly could be the best punter in the nation, which brings me to like the all SEC teams. We'll, we'll get to that here in just a minute. All right, so South Carolina, things going well. Like the new coaches, new offense. Shane's excited. Punter's good, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I voted for him just because they brought him. Whatever. Uh, Tennessee, some really cool stuff from Tennessee. Spent a lot of time with Joe Milton. I had to clarify this. I said, it was told to me by Jordan Rogers at the spring game. You told him you got thrown a ball in the 90s. Like We can't joke about this. Has it happened? He confirmed it has happened, but he was not going to give me the exact number. So Joe Milton has thrown a football over 90 yards. I told him, I don't even care if it's wind aided, man. Like I, I don't, I really don't give a damn. Like I, I don't, like I don't, I don't care if it was wind aided. Great. Like who, who cares? The fact that you did that is not, that's not something that we can joke about. Not something that we can kid about. Um, I talked to him about Dante Thornton receiver coming in. He said, Asked him, I said, I hear he runs like Jalen Hyatt. He said, listen, 
He's as fast as Squirrel White in long distances, like down the field. He said, some people don't realize that like there's, there's like quick shifty twitchy fast. And then there's, I guess he was trying to say long strider fast and said, Dante down the field is that fast and said, he has been everything they thought he would be in more. Watch out. If that's the case, if that receiving core could be maybe made better than last year, is that possible? Um, asked him and Jacob Warren about Peely at linebacker, both said immediately leadership, a guy who like came in, took it serious all the workouts, all the extra stuff around the facility, and they think he's going to be a playmaker. Um, asked Joe about some more inside run. He said, possibly. Um, had a chance to visit with Hypel, and he said, you know, Joe's done everything we've asked him to do this offseason. Asked him about a changeup, like velocity, and he said, it's something that they talk about on a regular basis. I asked Joe about that. I thought this was interesting because I said, I don't, I hear a lot of people talking about your accuracy. I was like, I don't think, I don't see accuracy problems. I said, but sometimes I feel like your velocity is a little bit of a problem as in no, not knowing when to take as much off. I love this answer. He said, Cole, here's the thing. I watch film of people and they're like, Oh, you threw that too hard. Like you don't have to throw that that hard. He said, the problem is I don't feel like I'm throwing that football very hard when I do that. So <laughs> it's, it's like a totally fair point. How do you change that? If, if you don't feel like you're throwing 90 miles an hour and your coach tells you to throw a change up and you throw it like 88, I don't feel like I'm throwing 88. So it was cool to hear him address that the way that he did. I don't know exactly how he, you alter that and work on that, but it's something that he's conscious of. And I think that's always good. It's always the, a, a good first step. Uh, and finally, Jacob Warren tied in for Tennessee. Holy man. He walked out of our Sears XM interviews and Jacob Hester goes, well, that dude's going to take our job one day. And I said, Jacob, that kid's going to be doing something that is way above our pay grades. Like, he ain't going to mess with calling games and talking to people about football. He's telling us how he has a plan. He doesn't want to start a business. He wants to start like an entire strip mall of businesses and like wants them all. And he had a plan laid out for all of this. Um, big shoe guy, big sneaker guy. And I've told you guys how important the tight ends are to that offense before he backed it up. Split zone, the inserts, you're running by the inserts, stealing the eyes. And he's like, man, we can feel it. I asked him about it. He said, I can feel it immediately when they're buying into what we're doing. And I know we've got them. He said, it's a, it's a really cool feeling. So just some of these individuals blew me away. Just how impressive they were. You always expect them to be impressive, but just a couple of them went above and beyond the things they were talking about later in life, how they talked about their teammates, the things they're doing right now, just a lot of wow guys at sec media days. It's pretty cool to see. It just says even more about this league and everything that they have to offer. Uh, Texas A&M, the only thing I'm going to say about A&M is, yes, the play calling stuff got going. And it was it was a little bit problematic. It was a major part of the narrative for almost two full days. My only issue with it was, and you, I'm, I'm on record saying, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I don't think it's going to be a big issue. Uh, I think having Cheney in there helps. I think Petrino's going to run it. I think Jimbo will have a say, but it could have been squashed. That's the only thing I'll say. It could have been put to bed very easily. And I felt like if Jimbo would have been the Jimbo that we got on Feinbaum at the end of the day, where he was very precise, he stopped. He was very direct and to the point about what was going to happen, said Bobby was going to call it. If if the media would have gotten that all day, no one would have tried to run with any of it. It would have been over, simply over. I still don't think it's going to be a problem 
but it's just some of these headaches are avoidable. And it's just, it's just kind of what it is and, and how it is. Thought Clark Lee was really cool. Got to talk to him for a couple of minutes. Cool that his dad was floating around there. Um, he's building that thing, man. And like even talking to, you know, some of the guys that are around that program, they see it different and see kind of some things. Like I think now they know who their quarterback's going to be. I think they know exactly who they're going to be on offense. I think everybody has the expectation of what's going to happen inside the facility. So all the bodies aren't there, but I have a lot of confidence in Clark Lee and what he's doing. Now that brings us to the sec vote that a lot of people are mad at. I'm just going to say this. I understand eight people giving Vanderbilt a first place vote in the East is egregious. Yes. There's one or two of those every year. There's usually not eight, but there's a couple every year, like Auburn in the West. It's kind of egregious. So I think every team did every team get a first place vote. I think that's fine. Your outrage is misplaced because once again, first, second, and third team preseason all SEC offensive lines, we cannot get a center, two guards, and two tackles. One of them had three guards, and the other two had three tackles. And I I think the only reason they all three had centers is because you vote for center separately. Honest to God. I think we'd have been looking at four tackles and four guards on a couple of them. How we can't get this right. Like, get... Get your damn Phil Steele out, read it, look at it, and see what position the guys play. It ain't hard, but we make it hard. And for some reason, we can't get it. So that was my biggest problem with it. You vote for whoever the hell you want to to win the the league. That's a guess. It's not a guess what position a guy plays, tackle or guard. I'm not saying left tackle, left guard, right tackle, right guard. I'm not even going there. Just give me two guards and two tackles. Like, for the love. Always appreciate you guys being with us. Media Days was a blast. Thanks to everybody that came up and mentioned the podcast. There are a bunch of you guys came up and said, hey, enjoy it. I listen. Or, hey, it's fucking terrible. Either way, thank you. We appreciate it. And please subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. At Cube Show 61 on YouTube. At Cube Show, Twitter, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We always appreciate it. We're going a little bit deeper into the season next week, and we'll be back. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.